Hey, Pete. Hey, Aaron. Don't you dare. I, I, I dared, though. You did. did Which is good, because we wouldn't have a show without the daring. That's kind of a conceptual the whole requirement. Thing. Yeah, I'm Aaron Armstrong. The other person you're Ryan. hearing is Pete. Sure. You can introduce yourself. <laughs> Sorry, it's a habit. Go ahead. No, you wanted the space. Uh, Do uh, it. I'm Pete Moran, and I'm here to say I love to dare in a horror way. <laughs> yeah. So Make this is uh, watch a show on sci-fi. I think Aaron's a pretty cool guy. <laughs> and if Aaron wouldn't watch the show on sci-fi, I think that Aaron can go bye-bye. Um, <laughs> so normally, most of the time, if you're listening on this feed, you hear a show called We Love to Watch, which is a movie podcast that Peter and I host where we pick themes and do movies uh, around those themes over the course of the month. Sometimes, if you're really lucky... Or you forgot to uh, hit um, uh, end end podcast when the episode ends as you're falling to sleep. You may get a Don't You Dare episode, which is the 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 podcast, the sidecast where we um, dare each other to experience pop culture that we have not experienced before. It's on a rotating basis. Uh, so the and so why do we do that? Why why do we do that? Sometimes it's because. We just are trying to get our friend who hosts a show to watch something we've been talking about, like in this case, for fucking years. And the only way that we can reliably do that is through uh, a podcast recording. Uh, sometimes it's because we want to relive some piece of art that's important to us that's kind of embarrassing now. But who else are we going to talk about Smash Mouth's first album with? And sometimes, kind of not yet really, have we gone like, hey, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but that's come i mean it's got to come up at some point but generally it'll, it'll happen eventually i've been giving very sincere you uh, have recommendations been. uh mostly uh and even the real big fish one that feels like a fuck you a was a sincere uh let's talk about this shit i mean because, smash uh, mouth was too i don't think we've given a true fuck you a true fuck you which may come it's not coming today would be like go watch max the movie i talk about a lot that i hated most probably in the last five years not coming uh, could time. happen because i keep talking about it and surprisingly because i hate it so much peter has not watched it but mm. this this a uh, week month year what however often we release these things uh, Peter dared me to watch a television show. He's kind of been talking about it for a long time to the point that I have owned all four seasons since the fourth season came out. There was a deal digitally for like five bucks a season. I bought all four and then I just haven't got around to him. It's that problem where uh, I need to watch this. I need to watch it. Oh, I own it. So now I can watch it whenever I want time to move on to other things. Um and I never got around to it. And uh, Peter used the uh, blunt instrument that is this show to finally force me to watch uh, what he would call the worst season of the show. Because even though he wants me to see this show, he also secretly hates me. All right. So let's talk about this real quick. Real quick. The worst season of the show is still a like four, four and a half out of five for me. But it's the and, worst. It's one of the most. But you admitted things. last week it was the worst. Uh, but it's one of the most unique things that I've ever seen on TV. So what is and, it? And what the, uh, fuck the, is the this, property Peter? is Channel Zero. So Channel Zero has uh, kind of uh, uh, deeply unappealing roots. So uh, Max Landis was originally <laughs> from the internet. 
<laughs> yeah, Max Landis was originally involved in the development, and Max Landis's genius idea was, what if we stole creepypasta stories and then uh, expanded them out to season length? Which, uh, you know, sounds awful on its surface. When I first heard the concept of the show, I was like, please kill this. Uh, but he eventually was pushed off the project um, and uh, different creative forces stepped in. And it actually has a pretty cool story after that. Um, they, uh, they they heavily credited uh, the uh, original the, as, as they purposefully picked stories that inspired each of the four seasons um, off stories that they could tr- they could trace back to an original author as best they could. And credit and them. to credit them. Yeah. And then the other thing is sci-fi basically signed up for four seasons. Um, Sci-fi was like they they met Craig William McNeil, who's the producer and uh, uh, d- director of season one, and Nick Antosca, who's the cr- the show creator, the show runner. Uh, Nick Antosca is also a horror director in his own right. Um, and he said they said um, we want to see this experiment through. They're short seasons. Uh, they're eight episodes, right? Six. Six. So there's six episode seasons. Uh, there's four of them. And they're all movie level in terms of effects and in terms of production value. None of them look cheap at all. They're actually, all of them are kind of gorgeous looking. Yeah. Uh, in their own unique palette way. Uh, they ha- they bring in different directors to add, a di- infuse a different sort of DNA into the different seasons. Uh, and they all have very different, sto- very different kind of unique uh, horror stories that don't feel like something you've seen uh in uh other horror properties the story the stories feel very unique and they only get more unique after season one yeah it has the advantage of a lot of good anthology stuff even though this is anthology by season as opposed to episode it allows you to do a story that's longer than a movie but not one that is reliant on anything else so it can exist in its six episodes i mean six it's basically the length of two movies right it's 240 minutes each season um so you get a chance to see a little bit more character development a little more plot twists uh it also i think puts less um importance on the finale um in that i think the finale of movies is very important to whether you like the movie as a whole and i don't mean this that i dislike channel zeros i i didn't finale i didn't dislike it um but i do think in general TV seasons can exist without as uh, good of a finale as you need in a movie. Like, you need to like the ending. You need to like where the movie ended up. You can have TV seasons where it's like, that was a great cliffhanger. That was a great ending. But even when you don't, Lost Lost is a really good example. Uh, There's a ton of other examples uh, where you can go, yeah, the last season sucked and I didn't really like where it ended up. But... I'd rewatch it again because of all these great moments throughout where I think for most movies, just because of the way that they exist, um, if you have a bad ending, you're more likely to go, yeah, I kind of like that couple scenes, but uh, the ending didn't work for me. So it's hard to recommend. And I think uh, the reason I'm bringing all that up is I just think that that allows this to be a little more meandering than a movie without overstaying its welcome and without uh, being reliant on uh, multiple seasons and plot threads that go beyond it. So it's an interesting split the difference. I think even American Horror Story, 
which is probably the other like concurrent contemporary famous anthology uh, uh, series horror series. I mean, those are like thirteen episodes, right? So it, and they drag, man. I've they're never like, so I've never seen them. So I know heavy. that I know that a lot of people kind of hate watch them or like go, hey, a couple of them were pretty good or they had good moments. But uh, I mean, that's a really good example of a show that I don't know that many people that love. But hangs on for its moments, uh, let alone like finale or um, love of season. So, or I, just actors you love, because Ryan Murphy uh, does a lot of interesting acting choices, and the plots are insane, and like it gets yeah. on a lot by sort of cheap thrills, cheap thrill energy. Um, in American Horror Story, and like I, 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 I'm very much against most of uh, Ameri- what American Horror Story has done in the past. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I can't fault is like there's a fucking season about a witch coven in New Orleans, and uh, they cast um, like. An amazing, amazing cast here. Let, let me let me pull up. Uh, While you're pulling it up, I will say, as someone who has never watched the show, I'm always intrigued by like, oh, here's what they're doing this season, and here's are the here are the people starring in it. And also, in general, even something that I've heard is not wholly successful or even partially successful by uh, horror aficionados like Peter. I I am happy that like, oh, that sounds super weird and messed up. And that's and that's popular. People are watching that. Great, <laughs> like yeah. that's that's always a good thing about the thing you like. Even the uh, popular, even the popular uh, examples that maybe don't connect with you or you don't like. It's nice when they're popular because it means you're probably going to get stuff like a Channel Zero or other things where people can go, "Hey, this is successful, but I'm a better writer, creator, director, whatever else it is." Give me a chance to do that. And and uh, I, I do think that stuff like Channel Zero probably wouldn't exist without the American horror stories of the world. Yeah. And like the season I'm referring to has Sarah Paulson, Tessa Farmiga, um, Francis Conroy, Jessica Lange, Kathy Bates, Dennis O'Hare, all in like one season of this this uh, clumsy uh, awkward, salacious, uh, fun, terrible show of American Horror Story. And then at one point in that season and then one point in the apocalypse season, I- I'm noting the the, the, the co- coven season because these are kind of the only seasons I've seen uh, since the first one. Um, the uh, I've actually seen the first two and then I've seen coven and then I've seen apocalypse. Um, and the uh one of the episodes in coven features stevie nicks in like a musical cameo and then she comes back in apocalypse so like yeah like that's 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 the ryan murphy thing where he can just get a bunch of super talented people often like women or lgbtq members of the community to like uh show up do a role you would never see them as like uh, fucking Billy on the street is in uh, in an apocalypse as like a Mad Max raider. Yeah, That's- the casting always seems insane. Even if the only Ryan Murphy thing I've ever liked and watched all the way through uh, is the People versus O.J. Simpson. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Ryan Murphy has a very mixed track record. American Crime Story is much better than American Horror Story. Um, the the sequel to American uh, Crime Story about um, the murder of uh, Versace was uh, really incredible as well. Oh, but, was it? I I never. 
and never checked so, it out. Super good. Um, so anyways, but, but yeah, this... sort of, yeah, get back to what we were talking about. Yes, Aaron, you had a really good point, which is that even though I don't really like the show, and I, and I, I like a lot of people, fall and prey to hate watching it. Um, <laughs> it did help bring about one of my favorite things on TV, and there's so much to watch, and me telling Aaron, hey, you should watch this thing that's on the Sci-Fi Network. Uh, right now I'm watching it by streaming it through the Sci-Fi app that shows you the same goddamn commercial 300 times per episode. And also, uh, not once do they spell Sci-Fi right. Yeah, yeah, they spell it phonetically, I guess. So Peter finally got me by telling me this is a direct sequel to the second season of Parks and Recreation. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this is what happens to Mark Brandanowitz. Exactly. He uh, he used to live in this other town. Uh, no, so it wasn't like it wasn't a hard sell, right? It's it's an anthology. It looked super creepy. Six um, episodes. Six episodes. I it's I in theory I could watch a season and take a five year break to the next season. Like I I you know, um, but I still just because there's a lot. I didn't get around to it. Uh, and that's that's part of the premise of the show is like, actually, I want to force the issue. Like, I want to talk about it with you. Uh, you need to watch it. So, um, yeah, I this wasn't a hard sell. I, I didn't walk into this thinking that I was going to dislike it. And fucking surprise, surprise, Peter. I really, really liked it. And I'm excited cool. to to start the second season, which I believe you've said and uh, is the best. And I feel like the critical consensus on that is um is that as well yeah it's uh for me it's like two four and then some alteration between three and one um and it's sort of like i like i like when they go to two and four are more without spoiling sort of the stories uh people can go spoil that for themselves by watching the fucking show uh two and four are more have like almost a a little bit of a sci-fi twist or uh you know an alternate reality twist to them Mm -hmm. um and they feel like sounds like my jam yeah it it sounds and they feel like something i've never ever seen in a horror movie three feels like it's just riffing off amazing gore movies that i love like fulci and like a lot of the italian filmmakers where it's operating off nightmare logic uh one feels like it's it ha- it almost has like uh japanese inspiration like it feels like it's it's both like uh inspired by um terence malick and uh it's inspired by like silent hill and it's like yeah. terence malick and silent hill coming together into this nightmare fuel uh so one of the other advantages of having a short season is that you can put up a lot of the weirdness up front because you don't have to stretch it over 13 episodes, right? So <laughs> the first episode is so weird. The first episode is so fucking weird. So it's about the show called Candle Cove, uh, uh, ostensibly, that like aired in this small town. No one knew where it aired from. It was on um, Channel Zero or a UHF station. And then the people started to have visions of it, the kids, and ultimately it resulted in five unexplained kid deaths including paul schneider's uh twin brother and paul schneider's character leaves and becomes a child psychologist uh to kind of talk about what that's like coping through that he has a wife and a daughter himself and eventually is kind of pulled back into this small town so the first episode he he returns without his wife and his child and is um 
Yeah, it's kind of like meeting old people, but then immediately, like, you would think there's going to be some sort of ramp up, but he's like, hey, remember Candle Cove, that show we all watched that no one knows where it came from? I think it's, I think, quote unquote, it's happening again because, and there's, there's almost murders in the, in the opening uh, episode. There's all these flashbacks to weird encounters when he was a kid. And eventually the really uh, short version of this is uh, full spoilers, just to let you know jump out here i think it's on shutter now you don't have to buy them even for five bucks but uh, yeah just subscribe to shutter you can pay for like a year for forty dollars or something <laughs> yeah absolutely worth it but essentially you find out that uh candle cove is like a machination or a projection of his twin brother who after getting beat up by these kids who ultimately died he invented this dark place that was able to kind of exist and also have like what is what is the skin digger like this kind of monster who now you see as a, a person made of teeth and gets teeth, teeth offerings, um, which I'm assuming not being all that familiar with the creepypasta stuff. I'm assuming like the inspiration was Teeth Man. Is that accurate? Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. I mean, that's that's the other thing. I didn't research that part, but like I'm like I'm watching this. I'm like, oh, once I found out it was a creepy pasta inspired, I'm like, oh, the teeth band probably. Like, I feel like the rest was probably like written around it. But yeah, uh, so but- there's actually a story called Candle Cove about a bunch of ki- people remembering um, a show okay. that they all supposedly saw as a kid. Um, but there is that story about like a teeth monster. So I feel like the first season was them sort of um, not being able to control themselves from their influences. Uh, so there might be some other stuff in there. The Teeth Boy is one of the most evocative, uh, evocative horror images I've seen in a very long time, which is why when they're promoting the show and yeah. Shudder now because they have the rights to it. Puts Teeth Boy all over their marketing, like right. my load screen, my whatever the splash load screen is for um, for uh, when the app is loading on uh, on Apple TV is just an image of Teeth Boy and a bunch of other horror icons. Yeah, and it but it works though because it's not even a spoiler because Teeth Boy shows up in episode one, so you're you're gonna meet Teeth Boy. Uh, you're gonna meet teeth. you're gonna you're gonna be like oh i also have teeth there is a recognition i know what he is made of as a person uh like so orientation counselor you're like all right you're you, gonna meet teeth you're boy. gonna look we're gonna get there let's get through the opening units and <laughs> we're not gonna just rush ahead to teeth boy chomp chomp uh but yeah also yeah you're right the idea of a tv show no one remember like that everyone remembers but no one can find it in the is also like a, it's a great hook. There's so many TV shows that I used to watch that uh, I've I've usually found them, but sometimes I'll still to this day like we'll have a flash of a oh yeah that TV show what the fuck was that like it it happens quite a bit because there are so many random like one season shows or even like for those of for those of us that watch like Disney and Nickelodeon in the 80s there was a lot of weird like this isn't a show this is something we do in between shows that good fucking luck ever finding out what that that was so it's a great con not not to mention all the local access that you could get by turning to UHF stations which were all very active so yeah the idea of this weird marionette show 
that all the kids watched. Mike Painter has spent time like researching and trying to find the show and realizing like it didn't come from a cable access. There's no record. Like he's done the research and been like, this is a show that all of us remember that there's just no record on. And he finds out very quickly all the adults still have dreams about it. So anyways, in the first episode, the show starts airing again. Some of the new kids, the next generation start seeing it. And eventually what that leads to is those kids being uh being kind of controlled by um eddie who you find out eventually was supposedly who who orchestrated everything who did kill the who who enacted revenge on bullies or just sometimes out of like childhood play um so that eventually mike pushed him off a cliff supposedly killing him um but ultimately um he went into this other place that he created the dark place where he was still able to uh, influence people in some ways through the television show and also uh, the 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 skin digger who uh, is, the, is the teeth person who can come out. The main person he influenced is one of the teachers uh, who is kind of helping to orchestrate his memory. And ultimately, when Mike comes back as twin brother, he grows in power and is able to influence the children to kill again as well as uh, bring his own daughter into into the mix. The, the show ends with uh, Mike actually going into the dark place with Eddie, w- w- with his own daughter as well, in this like weird like skin-based hotel room with that creepy skin digger who was teeth, but is now just like skin and other monstrous forms walking around. It's very creepy and good. Um, Mike tries to leave to possess uh, or sorry, Eddie tries to leave to possess uh, Mike's body and say, hey, fuck you. Now you're stuck in this dark place while I get to go control people and use my magic, Stephen King telekinesis powers. But um, when Mike had sent his daughter out, he had told his daughter to uh, hey, you need to have me killed before I wake up from this nightmare. So he uh, his mom finds him in the field, kills him and then Mike and Eddie are stuck in the dark place forever, together as children. Uh, it's really, it's really, really good. Uh, it's creepy throughout. Great imagery, great directing. It, uh, the directing actually reminds me of most with like its off-center images and very quiet, quiet dialogue and stuff like that. Part of that is just having Paul Schneider in the cast. But it would remind reminds me of from a directorial standpoint is uh, Mr. Robot, which is a show that I ultimately uh, got sick of in the second season, but. Uh, one thing I really liked about it uh, throughout the time that I watched it is the way that it felt like it was directed like nothing else on television. Like, why aren't the characters in center? Why is everyone so quiet? Why are even the the scary moments done in this really, like, played down sense? And that, that really was effective in this. Did in you this ever movie. watch The Boy? Not the movie no. about the doll. No. Um, you should follow up. Uh, oh, yeah. No, the antler guy. Yeah. No, I saw The yeah. Boy. Yeah. Um, so the boy is an amazing little uh, like serial killer origin story, but it's not it's not a slasher. It's not about, uh, you know, g- getting as much blood and gore on screen as possible. It's a very meditative, I think, Malachy uh, sort of yeah. uh, uh, film about. Uh, damaged people trying to work through past traumas, all kind of coalescing at this motel that no one actually wants to be at, 
but that's just where they ended up. Um, and and this this boy is sort of uh, emerging um, as a as a serial killer because he's sort of um, his uh, there's some darkness inside him, yes, but also. Um, he's sort of venturing off on his own and he's being neglected um, on this journey. And it's an it's an amazing movie that no one talks about. It is not the we've movie. talked about it. Yeah. yeah. It, but it's not it's not the movie that um, it's, it's it's not a big gore fest, but it's a very creepy little like drama with um, a big injection of horror, especially in the last 20 minutes. And it was produced by SpectreVision, actually. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a great movie. It was directed by Craig Mc, Craig William McNeil, who directed the first season of Channel Zero. And, and that's why I noted the um, the uh, Malicky touches, because he's he's far more interested in the sort of um, ethereal way that trauma touches us over time than he is interested in uh, showing us as many spooky monsters as possible. And the fact that it's kind of shot in this rural town with, you know, tall grass and, and heavy oak trees and such like that, that he really focuses on the natural and very, very quiet. Everyone's just kind of like, yeah, how's it going? So like, yeah, there's even the jump scares are quiet. Like, yeah, like all of a sudden, sure, the teeth person will be there, but it's not like, oh, my God, there's the teeth boy. Like, it's like, oh, I hear the noise. He's slowly walking. No one seems scared or frightened. Like, there's nothing. There's scary imagery without ever giving you any of the normal cues a movie does to make you jump. Like, like, which is either like sound effects or sudden camera movements or even the characters reacting in sudden fright, which then causes you to kind of seize up in the same way and in, in anticipation. None of that is there, even if all of a sudden like, oh, is there a ghost monster right behind him? Like, yeah, it's uh, it reminds me a little bit of early Ty West stuff as well it's very slow burn but like in 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 tv i think you kind of settle yourself into that flow whereas some people have trouble with movies being slow burn because they expect like we're here for 100 minutes like hit me um yeah and i want to get back to so why i kind of mentioned the like the ending doesn't need to be as fantastic as i think it needs to be in a movie for it to be successful because you have more space and you have a lot more of these memorable moments like i will say it does have the this is a problem in so much of this like mystery horror stuff like unless you're david lynch and you're like yeah you're never gonna know why teeth guy exists we we don't know either they were offering teeth to him who knows weird weird place this town like unless you're gonna do that which can be unsatisfying but at least leaves you with the eeriness i will say that like when you find out it's an evil twin brother who has magic powers who created the tv show that has the problem of a setup that is just more satisfying or a setup that's more intriguing than uh the climax pays off right like you're like, oh, okay. So he's just the evil twin. Like the there is no weird like Lovecraftian force broadcasting, you know, broadcasting yeah. this TV show. It's just he got beat up. His anger created a dark place. The dark place could broadcast. Like that's why I said kind of Stephen Kingy. It's like, which again, great great tie-in. Stephen King's endings never ruin his books, in my opinion. At least his great books. But there's a reason why most people don't talk about Stephen King's satisfying endings because you're like, oh, it's this feels like a Stephen King ending where it doesn't ruin the book. 
It's never as satisfying as everything that came before, but it has the advantage of being a long novel, which is, oh, yeah, I mean, hey, 950 pages of that, I was all hooked. And yeah, the ending doesn't wow me the the way the rest of the atmosphere and everything else that you created is, but I don't hold the ending against what I just experienced over that long period of time. And I do feel like that's the same thing here, even though I really... Like, even when when, uh, Mike is in the dark place, I love that skin-lined hospital room. I love the way the skin digger all of a sudden looks without the teeth because he doesn't have teeth in the dark place like he did. Like, I love all of that. It's just the ultimate, like, mystery of Candle Cove is unsatisfying. Yeah. But in a sense, it it feels awesome that the movie or the show ends with... Um, it all coming back, it narrowing back down to a small personal conflict. Um, even as someone who absolutely loves when stories sort of build and build and build and you realize like, oh, this is all a a machination of the cosmos. This is so much bigger than you. Or leaves a lot of it on Lovecraft stuff. But but I like this answers everything. Yeah, I, I, but yeah, I love, I love that it does come back down to, uh, yeah, a fine point. Um, and, and in that sense, I feel like it. Um, in that sense, I feel like it kind of bucks the trend of. I, I compared it to Silent Hill earlier. Silent Hill is always like kind of um, the, also about at the end of the story. You, you, when it starts, you're like, oh, this town is so big and this town is connected to some sort of deep, uh, deep fucked up psychological force that can draw in your nightmares and, and, and make you really sit in your suffering. This is a hell force. Uh, but by the end of the game uh, for for Silent Hill, uh, Silent Hill um, you're you, it's usually down to two or three characters personally working through their issues. Um, so in yeah. a sense, it does it does kind of feel even more like Silent Hill the more I think about it. Um, and how like set a pyramid yeah, head and so teeth huge. head. Yeah, <laughs> both and, both come to points at the end. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I I just the the fact that. Um, the fact that it does try and resolve all this crazy imagery that they show you in season one in six episodes is like so ambitious. Well, but I, I do think that's the key, right? Like horror mysteries, creepy, weird, disconnected, horrific imagery is, and horror mysteries are easy to set, easier to set up than they are to satisfyingly resolve. That's just a, a unfortunate part of how fiction works because our minds are like, what could all this mean? And whatever the answer is, rarely satisfies all the all the disconnected imagery we've seen to that point. Uh, but this is like the perfect length for making it work, right? Like if this was the resolution to a five-season television show that I spent five years watching – less satisfying maybe Absolutely it affects not, yeah yeah may, maybe it affects the whole um the whole of its parts a little more it's a 90 minute movie uh okay well now all the stuff that i liked about it had to be either condensed or pulled out and um the ending isn't wowing me so i leave feeling unsatisfied a 240 minute anthology like miniseries perfect perfect for you to be able to go yeah the ending didn't wow – I should say the twist, the reason, the mystery didn't wow me. The ending is great. The ending where you, it doubles back to him not being able to get out of the, the dark place and those two just sitting for eternity in this like 
prison that he created through his pain is great. Like, that all works for me. It's the mystery part that it's unsatisfying. But I don't have to go and say um, it ruined it in the way that, like, if it was longer or shorter, it may have done. If that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I totally get that. I'm so glad that you enjoyed this because for me, this is uh, something that like when I discovered it, I was like, this needs to be, um, this needs to be spread out. Everyone needs to, everyone needs to see. It. Yeah, you were pretty uh, evangelical about it. I, I think even before we started talking, the first or second season was on. And I remember you posting about like, has anyone seen Channel Zero? Channel, Channel Zero, call in. Someone watch Channel Zero and talk about it with me. It has 600,000 viewers a week. Please. Pre-taped call-in show. Uh, If you're calling to talk about our topic for tonight, you're too late to call in to talk about Channel Zero. We already talked about Channel Zero last week. If you want to talk about Hannibal, please call in. And then when you show the TV, it's just Candle Cove. (laughs) <laughs> i don't know if uh, uh, so I, uh, the other interesting thing is the candle cove thing these scary little muppet creatures bouncing around um if that was the whole deal is that like uh these these scary little uh the scary show with these like little pirate muppets and they sort of are uh, lynchian in their awkwardness um if the, if that had been like a lot of the show i would have been like eh, the, like this is cheap. This is cheap shit. Instead, they deploy it at strategic moments to make it extremely creepy. Um, oh, it's so it's so good about the Candle Cove deployment. Uh, even when it appears in the real world, and that's actually a twist that works for me. I love that. Like, oh shit! Why? Like, I think it's the first episode. They show the Candle Cove stuff. They show Teeth Boy, and then they also show back when he uh, he was a kid. Him seeing a guy dressed up like this or someone dressed up like a skeleton from Candle Cove in the black cloak just standing in like a field. And I was like, what the fuck was that? And then you find out it's this teacher who was like, <laughs> cured of his seizures through Eddie and then like let Eddie sacrifice his son was one of the kids dying to like help him gain his power. Who then made all of the Candle Cove projections and started like dressing up children in it and dressing up herself in it to like help build his power it's great like that part's great it's kind of grounded in those small little tortures um because at first yeah you're right ground is the right word it's grounded in that but at first you're small little traumas you're there was a point where i was worried that um oh shit is candle cove not supernatural and just this lady you know (laughs) and then like because that does if if she's like fucking uh, Brigsby Baring making the show in her basement and like somehow programming everyone's TVs, it becomes less weird and like too normalized, right? Um, if it all takes all this weird, eerie stuff you've been seeing taking place in the real world. So um, I like that that wasn't the case while also making sense of why a Candle Cove uh, marionette puppet uh, was uh, fully adult sized standing in a field at one point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah like it, it, there is a way to make this too small yeah agreed um there is a way to make this uh, the most too... complicated serial killer of all time uh who is like 
programming 80s type TVs to show transmissions only when uh, kids are in the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like this is a sort of uh, metaphor for PTSD. It gives you a lot of leeway, um, but keeps the intimacy. But if they had been like, no, nah, there's like a real serial killer who just uh, really into film production. <laughs> then all of a sudden it becomes like the worst kind of Giallo movie where uh, they the cops are about to catch the killer, but they need to spend 15 minutes explaining how the killer <laughs> the worst part of any horror movie yeah uh this does share a weird like now that i mentioned brigsby bear this is like um brigsby bear does the the opposite where it shows the show and then explains why the show existed right away and then uh deals with the trauma of a fake show that raised children <laughs> <laughs> But in a heartwarming way, not a terrifying way. Uh, and the way I don't know what like else to put this mem- in, on our podcast or if it's worth noting. But I will just say, as long as I mentioned Brigsby Bear, um, Brigsby Bear, according to Letterbox, I got the I am I'm, I'm pro now, so it shows all of my stats. Brigsby Bear is the movie individually I have watched the most in the last five years. I've watched it eight times. Everything else in that 10 most watched movies are children's movies that I logged watching with my kids. And I think it's because Brigsby Bear is the movie that, like, I'm like, I need to feel something good or heartwarmed right now. I'm going to put Brigsby Bear on. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Brigsby Bear, we talked about it in our sort of uh, yeah, we, wrap I, up. Yeah, I think year. we both – did we both name it our number one movie of the year? It year? wasn't my number one, but it was – pretty damn close um that sort of like uh small small uh community sweetness uh is just something that i can never get quite enough of where everyone's Um, trying their best (laughs) yeah because like so much of the news is is like the world's very big you have absolutely no control over it and guess what everything is awful yeah like well what 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 am i what am I supposed to do with this information? Like your brain inherently says, what am I supposed to do with this information? Even if there is nothing for you to do with this information, except for interpret it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Brigsby Bear is great. If you haven't seen it, can't be a dare episode because Peter's already seen it as well. Uh, it is. I, I kind of wish I had a little more time to, to watch more of this just because I know that it only gets kind of better from here in general. And this was great. So we may have to do like a pop in after I get through seasons two through four and kind of just talk about those with a little bit of, of detail. It'd be kind of weird if you had to use three more dares to make me watch, <laughs> to make me watch seasons two, three, and four. It's, it's just I mean, a, technically my, it counts, right? Because they're not connected. So it would, it would eat up so much of the because we don't put these episodes out very often. It would eat up so much time. Yeah, we're still uh, still daring you to keep going with Channel Zero. <laughs> um, technically, it's You're a like new, I watched a new piece of pop already. culture <laughs> uh, because it's unconnected to the first season. So yeah, let's just uh, at some point I want to get through this and hopefully use my dares for good. Uh, speaking of which, um, it reminds me of uh, really quick before you get into speaking of which, it reminds me of. Uh, do you remember when we covered Never Ending Story two? Mm-hmm. There's that scene where he like it has to climb up a building or a wall that doesn't have stairs, and he uses his wishes, which he has limited amount of, although I guess he doesn't realize it at the time, by going, and I wish for a stair, and I wish for another stair, and I wish for another stair. <laughs> 
as he drains all of his like <laughs> life energy through the wishes. Like, why don't you just wish for stairs all the fucking way up? Why are you wishing for individuals to just from a time consumption? It, it's it's you. It does. It takes you more time to wish for another stair than it does for you to step on that stair. Yeah. So, but that's what I want you to do for channels. But that's. But yeah, that would be pretty convenient for you because I think you're going to end up watching the rest of the show. Um, I, here's the other thing: if I challenged you to watch uh, Channel Zero season two and starting there, um, you wouldn't have. Had, uh, two things would have happened. One. You wouldn't have had uh, the sort of amazing ramp up that happens with the show or sort of, uh, sorry, roller coaster ride that happens with the show. Not necessarily a ramp up uh, where season two is amazing. And then season three is this like really weird season that like it, it feels like it's drawing from a lot of different elements and it feels way more chaotic. And then season four is back to being pretty damn focused. And so like I love that sort of ebb and flow between like uh, psychological horrors little bit of like a, a sci-fi almost house of leaves thing yeah then like a just a straight up gory slasher weirdo season and then back to like a little bit of house of leaves but like more so like uh, a sci-fi horror concept um well actually horror. if you had been smart and known that i have a sometimes have a real problem like doing stuff out of order even if the order doesn't really fucking matter at all you should have dared me to watch season four and then knowing that about me, know that I would have watched all the way through from one through four. So really, <laughs> Peter, you fucked up is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I, I definitely fucked up uh, because I recommended something to you that you would like. And then uh, it appears you're going to be watching. <laughs> yep, I know. But you could have made me watch it. And that's really where I think the mess up occurred. But yeah, yeah I, I, I am I proposing more control over you. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I am proposing that this is a part one of two. A part two being a little bit longer, and I'm going to go through maybe uh, not just longer in that it is still, uh, you know, 18 episodes of television and the fact that who knows when these things get released. But th there will be a part two with seasons two through four because we can't leave our audience wondering what I thought of the next seasons. And also, Peter, beyond that, uh, you probably want to talk about those. And we're definitely not all of a sudden covering season three on We Love to Watch. So... Let's do it right here at some point in the nearish future, assuming the future still happens. I mean, if you spend uh, a lot of your remaining time watching um, watching uh, this, uh, this show, I think you've spent your time well. Sure. <laughs> I mean, um, or hanging out with your children. One of the... One of the two. I mean, my children don't stay up as late as me, and they so it's not a binary choice, Peter. Yeah, this um, is this is a post post children kind of thing. I mean, why? Here's my thing. Yep, definitely, why not definitely. Just accrue when, a bunch hold on, of hold sleep on. debt before we all die. Hold on. I know you're childless, uh, but most people don't call all the time <laughs> after their kids go to bed. Uh, post children. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I got to dare you for something. And I actually had a, an idea of something that I thought would be really fun to revisit for me. It would, would be a little bit of a time commitment in that it's like two seasons of like 10 minute episodes, 13 episodes. But, um, but also that scared me a little bit because it's a comedy show and I haven't watched it in 10 years and it came out 15 years ago. So we're going to pause that one. I want to do that at some point because I've been looking for a reason to to rewatch the whole thing again because it, it's a show that I became pretty evangelical about 
um, for a while. But as I was about to do that to you and make you watch hours of television, Peter, Mm -hmm. I remembered something else. Something else that we talked about for 20 minutes on an unrelated episode and I made you keep it in. I think you were editing because I'm like, I got to I gotta talk about this with someone. I just watched it. And so, so much – we talked about so much and didn't cut it out of the episode. We left it in the show notes that said, just to let you know, we're also talking about this for a little bit, even though only one of us has seen it. Um, and that's a little documentary from 2018. Actually, it may have been 2019 now. It was produced, released. It's on Netflix. Um, it's called Behind the Curve. Which is the documentary about flat earthers? Hell yeah! This will um, be a nine-hour episode. Not only is it going to be a nine-hour episode, here's what else I'm going to dare you to do as part of this. So you need to watch the movie first. But the person in the movie that, like, the main person in the movie got famous as a flat earther by creating these YouTube videos series. Very short that that collects all of the evidence of Flat Earther into individual nine to eight minute bite sized evidence pieces, which I talked about on the whatever episode it was that we talked about it. There's only like 20, 25 of them, not not too much for like some of them are like five minutes. They're not too long. They show little glimpses of it in the movie and they have a bunch of people in the movie talk about how. Man, once I watched that, I thought Flat Earth stuff was bullshit. And then I watched his series that just collects all of this actual evidence. Not commentary, not opinions, but here's the individual evidence. And I became convinced, right? So, I was so, like, intrigued after watching this movie. Not because I thought Flat Earth was was real, but I was like, man, they show little glimpses of, the, of this and it doesn't seem compelling, but what the fuck are these videos filled with? And in some ways, the videos themselves, which I watch every single one of, become their own like, you have got to be shitting me. This is what everyone's talking about throughout these movies? What is this? This is crazier than anything I saw. Uh, once you get really deep into it. So, Peter, I'm proposing you watch the documentary, which is only 90 minutes, but then afterwards, you'll know what YouTube videos I'm talking about. You'll know a series. I need you to watch all of his flat earth evidence YouTube videos as well because they give you a little taste. And I think they don't show you much because they want you to like in some way a little bit be like, all right, well, this guy's producing probably bullshit evidence, but they're evidence videos. And then when you see the evidence videos, you're going to be like you – even me saying this, Peter, is not setting you up for how – fucking nothing they are that has changed hundreds of thousands of hundreds and thousands of people's lives uh so is that a fair dare that i need you to watch the movie first and then the youtube videos that made this flat earther star a star enough to be the subject of a flat earth documentary Oh, absolutely. I am so excited. This is going to be a nine-hour episode. And, of course, I'm going to rewatch all of it as well uh, because it's been about a year at this point. And uh, I've, I've seen the documentary three times. It's in my – it's uh, very high on my top top of 2019 list. Uh, it is the best. And I – Peter, honestly, I've tried to force other people to watch it with me. There's no one else I want to talk about it but you. <laughs> 
Like, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Like, you and I need to talk about these things in a way that's not just me trying to relay all of the craziness I, I, I saw to you on an episode probably about fucking, who knows, whatever we were talking about a year ago. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fucking game, man. Let's do it. All right. Next time you hear the show, <laughs> uh, clear your weekend. <laughs> but for now, good night. Good night. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. Show, we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, we really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches. Peter and Aaron. <laughs>